listening to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. From Full Service Radio, this is Bad Feminist Making Films, a podcast presented by Riza and Ethnocene Collectives. We talk to bad feminist filmmakers who are confronting and changing the filmmaking industry through intersectional and decolonial practice. This is your host, Mia Sarah. And it's just me today. I'm one half of the co-hosting team today because Maggie and the season one co-host, Emily Hung, are recipients of Tribeca All Access. So they're working on their documentary called Above and Below the Ground, which tells the story of brave indigenous women activists and punk rock pastors who come together for a struggle of environmental self-determination in northern Myanmar. But I'm really excited to be joined by today's guest, Ria Pori, who is an award-winning filmmaker, TEDx speaker, co-founder of Break Tide Productions, a woman of color-owned production company. She has won numerous international film awards from New York to China and London and was selected as Sundance New Voices Lab semifinalist. Her original work frequently explores sexual violence, accessibility, and transnational identity. From shooting mission-driven campaigns for brands like Nike and having her photography published in Vogue magazine to working on documentaries on her activist movements in Hawaii, Kashmir, Oakland, and beyond... She earned her bachelor's in film from the University of California, Berkeley, and grew up between California, India, and Kuwait, which influenced her decision to intersect media with social justice. So without further ado, welcome, Ria. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to be talking with you, specifically because I think it's like it's one thing to make films. That's a whole trade and skill on its own. But then there's another thing to like make a living from making films um, and doing that in ways that nourish you on various levels and align with your values um, from day to day. So I'm super excited to hear more about your journey um, and also like how are things going with break time? How about we begin... With your background, how did you get into documentary filmmaking? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think in a lot of ways, um, it really helped to have creative parents. My mom's a fashion designer, and she um, pretty much started her business when she was 18, right out of high school, um, despite it being something that, you know, good Indian women didn't do at the time. Um, And so that was really encouraging for me to see as a kid, just, you know, growing up with Um, watching my mom work on her designs every day from our dining room table. And it really pushed me to to think of creativity as a serious thing that I I could make a living out of. And eventually I was drawn to film just because of the the possibilities that it had. You know, I think as as a creative medium, it really looked like this thing where I had this, you know, responsibility and power to really move someone or inspire someone to the point of action. And that idea really like made me excited, you know? And so eventually that's, that's kind of what started it all. And then I was like, let me just try this and see how it feels. And I love being on set. It's like the perfect situation where I feel like I can thrive. I love being in group settings and, and film is all about collaborating. So it also felt really good just logistically. And then I love, um, the kind of possibilities that this medium has. So then tell me more about like the formation of Break Tide Productions. Like who are you 
who did you co-found it with and where did the idea to start that come from? So, you know, um, as, as, as we know, uh, so Break Tide is a film production company owned and operated by women of color. And I'm one of the three co-founders. Um, and, and really it started because the three of us were po at points in our career where we were doing great work as freelancers. And yet there was just something missing around, the kind of the level of work we wanted to be able to create at, you know, I was I was working with Hearst at the time, um, a great full time gig. Um, but in a lot of ways, I still feel like I wasn't having the space like I started. I, I wanted to get into film so I could do documentary work and narrative work. And I just had gotten wrapped up in the cycle of like earning a living from the like day gigs, the nine to fives and Alex, one of our partners, uh, she was working at Apple and she was there for five years. And, you know, similarly, she kind of was drawn into film um, more from a need to serve her community. She was living in Oakland and had learned about lead poisoning crisis in Oakland. And that Perfect. literally drove her to, to quit her job and investigate how she could turn her need to look at this into a documentary. And so we had just like randomly met through Jelena, our third partner, who I went to high school with. And she's just an amazing person, um, had grown up doing acting and dance and all these other creative things. And she was also just, you know, really interested in figuring out ways to expand and grow the work that she was doing as a freelancer so we all we all met up at a cafe in Berkeley in December of 2017 and it all happened very fast by March of 2018 we like filed our LLC paperwork so it's been a year it hasn't oh, been wow. really long yeah and it, it really came from a place of like we were so aligned on our values of wanting to create work that address social justice and social impact and also wanting to to find a way for us to really enjoy our careers as creatives and to earn a living as creatives and we were like what can we do together that can help us achieve all of our goals individually and collectively to have more spaces for women of color and underrepresented folks to um, have a sustainable filmmaking practice in hearst media were you creating films? Were you, what kind of content were you creating? Yeah, so at Hearst Media, I was their Bay Area uh, producer and shooter for um, one of their Facebook pages that they had. And it was basically I handled all of our Bay Area video content. I was single-handedly like producing these um, stories around lifestyle-oriented videos. Uh, you know, what's the coolest... Like, look at this, like, weird food at this place or, like, look at this skating ring in a church. Um, just really interesting, like, lifestyle-oriented projects. Um, and so I would do everything from, like, producing those videos to then going out and shooting them and meeting the people and asking them all these interview questions. Mm -hmm. And then every week I would ship over that footage to New York and then... You know, I'd, I'd even write a paper edit for the, the the story, which would then get edited by our New York team. So it was fun. Um, I think it wasn't ultimately it, it didn't ultimately reflect the kind of work I want to be making, but it was a great steady job. And I think that attracted me. I think, you know, I think there was a lot about. There was a, a moment in uh, a period of sort of crossover from when we started Break Tide and I was still at Hearst until March of last year and um, both the other partners were already, you know, freelancing. And I just I think there was something about the safety and stability and like having a full time job that I yeah. was really hesitant about letting go of. Um, I hear that. <laughs> so and I've told you a little bit about that. So. 
Yeah. So I guess what what made you make the leap to like say no longer working for Hearst um, and gonna to uh, break tide full time? So, I mean, I had been thinking about it for a while, but I didn't feel quite ready to, to quit. And I remember one day, one evening, my partners called me up and they were like, okay, like we need you to, to do this full time with us. Like, when are you quitting your job? And I, I was like, I don't feel like I'm ready yet. I, I need a few more months. I need like five more months. And then I promise I'll quit and we'll do this together like full time. And the very next morning, um, the bosses of my boss at Hearst, who I'd never spoken to before, they called up our whole team and they were like, we're shutting the steam down. You're all laid off. You have like five hours to kind of like wrap everything up. So in some ways, the decision was made for me and on my behalf. And Mm -hmm. um, it was really scary. And I'm also like looking back at it. I'm so glad it happened because I think Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to give myself that. I wasn't I just wasn't going to give myself that permission that I needed to give myself. And it's almost like in them doing that for me, it showed me that my sort of like perceived notion that this was stability and this was safety. Like all of those thoughts went out the window and I realized Uh, that this wasn't actually giving me that stability. If they can just do this to me, then what does that mean? What am I like putting my own dreams on pause for? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, in a lot of ways, like I think you were being really smart and conservative and like a lot of people are in your position of like, okay, well, this is steady income. Was that the only reason why you were staying behind? I mean, ultimately, yeah. Ultimately, I was scared. And ultimately, so Jelena has this really interesting concept that she always talks about. And it's, you know, this uh, scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset, you know. And mm-hmm. as as a woman of color entering this industry, like I was I was totally operating from the scarcity mindset of like, you know, I'm going to stick to what I have. This is a great gig. I'm, I'm working uh, remotely. I, I can kind of decide my own schedule. It's um, a full-time job. I'm getting health benefits. And I wasn't really looking at, like, more holistically at what my full potential and contribution to the world as a creative was. You know, I wasn't thinking that big. And I wasn't giving myself that space to think that big. After this layoff happened, it really, it it just broke a lot of those preconceived notions of like what what that what this space should look like mm-hmm. and what and how I should be thinking about my role in this industry it, being in partnership with two other amazing women of color helped me go from this like scarcity mindset to abundance mindset because now what we do is we encourage each other in that in our financial success in our, you know, mental health and like just creating a a holistic space for ourselves as creatives that feels like it's sustainable in the long run. And, and the nine to fives weren't even close to ever offering me that. Hmm. That's super interesting. So could you maybe give like more tangible examples of like how you're manifesting this abundance mindset? What has changed? Like how do you organize yourself differently? Collectivizing is really it just puts everything in a whole on a whole different space for how we are as a, as a brand. So there's one, you know, there's in terms of like how we operate now, like obviously there's one, how we operate as individuals and then how we operate as a company. And as a company, it's like now our successes that, and, and, and strengths that we had as individuals are now threefold in a collective space. 
So already what that's offering us is a little bit of stability through each other's personal success. When we just started out at Break Tide, we were starting off with much uh, smaller scale um, projects. Even in in events where not all of us were working on a project, we just initially started bouncing rates off of each other. And that in itself was a big deal for me to bounce off a a cinematographer day rate off of Alex and Jelena and them say to me, I'm asking for too little. Mm. You know, like stuff like that was like a very like it was very small example, but it, it meant a lot for them to say that. And then it became this like constant practice where we started to advocate for each other in these situations of our financial success as individuals and then translating that to like our financial success as a company. Yeah, I think that's like a good transparent one of like, I'm not just going to accept what I'm given, but like asking other people and getting feedback and transparency around that to to get what you deserve. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think we're just so used to underpaying, uh, you know, getting underpaid and also like really not asking our worth, you know, and some of that is there's so much around, you know, it's kind of true. It's like having the confidence of a mediocre white man. It's like, that's Uh a real thing. It's like, you know, I was, I've been, I'd been shooting for seven, eight years and still, if I really look at it, getting underpaid for most of that, just because I felt like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, and, and, and in doing that, in asking for that, what I really was doing was underserving myself and like hurting my own self-esteem in some ways around like what I deserve and like what I'm worthy of. And mm-hmm. I think this is something that like as women of color and, and even just beyond women of color, like anyone who's who comes from an underrepresented background, like really looking at like what that means for you and how that makes you feel, you know, um, like what would it look like to ask for what you really want and to have that met and how that can change a lot of structures. So even as a company now, when we hire out, we, we, pro- we, you know, we implement those same practices, right? Because these things around financial success, like they're only going to take you so far if you're just thinking about yourself. So there is something about thinking, of, you know, thinking as a, a network that is then hire, hiring out. It's like, what can we do to un- undo these exploitive systems that have been at play for so long? Because uh-huh. it's not yeah. enough for just to think of like, watching out for yourself and then not, you know, not paying it forward or not creating a a system on set that is sustainable. And that is, um, you know, filled with a space where people feel valued. Yeah. And it's so much about like the, the dollar amount is so much about being valued, sticking Mm -hmm. to the, the timeline and the, the hours on set that you said you would, it's about the value and like, how can we create a culture where everyone is valued and respected? Yeah, I love that. And then I guess in terms of like the kinds of projects that you're working on, how do you guys decide what are you working on and how is that different from like the other projects you were doing for that nine to five job? Yeah. I mean, there's so much freedom around that now and that's been amazing. Um, We get a lot of interesting uh, clients and ultimately we look at who aligns with our values and who's um, kind of uh, the the project itself. How does that align with what we want to uplift? Um, Our our mission is to to uplift underrepresented uh, communities and to have them in the decision making rooms. So a lot of times like we've done a lot of campaigns around women's health um campaigns around you know we did a the black history month campaign for nike which was really awesome because it did give back to the community uh in a lot of 
important ways. And so as a company, we're obviously always grappling with, you know, what is the, what, where are we investing our time and how is it going to come back into the kind of work that we are proud to be a part of? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we also do is we work on branded content for half the year and half the year, the other half of the year, we um, work on our own documentary projects, our own narrative projects. And that was a really important piece for us to to incorporate into our model because we're, I don't think we're the kind of space that just like always wants to get hired out to do other people's work. I think in a lot of ways, um, we want to have the time and space to also just be creative and produce work that that really comes from, you know, our passion and not from, uh, you know, serving a client's need ultimately. On that note, can you talk more about like how you even approach finding clients? Because, you know, sometimes, at least for me, this is something that I struggle with, like the people or like the nonprofits that I want to produce work for don't necessarily have the budget. So then how do you figure out who to target and, you know, what to go after? So in all transparency, I think I think it was our social media and how we put ourselves out there on our website and our branding that um, attracted clients to us. All of the clients that we've worked with so far had approached us and we had not approached them, which is rare in some situations as an agency. So I think, you know, as we expand out and we capacity build, we're looking at ways to make sure that we're partnering and finding the right people to work with. Um, so far, it's really been people from our uh, existing communities that have that work with different brands that have noticed the work we're doing and <laughs> have actually reached out to us because they're excited about what we're doing. So I think it's really helpful, like whether you're a freelancer or you have a small agency, to just be really upfront and real in all of your branding and social media about who you are, what your values are, um, what are the stories you're trying to tell? Cool. I think that's a really good tip. On that note, I'm going to take a really quick break and we'll be back to talk to Ria Mark. The track you're listening to during the break is Can't Find Ya by Keto. If you're tuned in, you're listening to Full Service Radio. We'll be right back. From Full Service Radio, this is Bad Feminists Making Films, and this is your host, Mia Sarah. I am speaking with Ria, who's a co-founder of Break Tide Productions, about the kinds of projects that she was working on. I would love to hear more about how the three of you organize specifically. Like, do you subscribe to traditional ways where it's like there's a COO, CEO, CFO, or how do you guys um, work on projects together? I, you know, I think in a lot of ways we run more as a collective than as a traditional um, production company. Although I think as we expand this year, there are going to be facets of the the organization that will divide in certain ways. Um, okay. Right now, I'm our social media person, um, and Alex, for instance, did our um, website. But we, I think, what we really do is um, so far we've you know been checking in um, every week. We have calls um, primarily because we're working out of three different cities this this year, um, and so we have a lot of organizational tools that we deal with around just like checking in with each other and and chatting on like what the needs are and 
who can fulfill them. Um, and this year, I think we are looking a lot around capacity building and what would it look like for us to hire more folks and, you know, get a traditional office space? Is that something that we, we want to do? So the way we often work right now is, you know, we'll get a project, one person will get a project on and they get a cut as a finder for the project and then a cut goes to break tide and the rest of it really is like people get hired on as um, pro like different uh, roles on the project. So it, it, in a lot of ways is more as a more runs more as a collective because we work out of, you know, three different cities for at least like more than half the year. It's so important for us to be organized online. So mm -hmm. we do have a Slack channel that we work off of and we've got different conversations and threads going on about like different facets of the work and what we're doing which is really helpful for us. Um, and we also have like different um, organizational materials like the Google Drives, all of that is super helpful. Um, I think we run our company with a lot of structure around the details, but there is a lot of ease um, and flexibility. Um, again, just because our main concern is creating, creating a career that is sustainable for all of us. And so, that's hard to do when there's like too much on our plate all at once. So we're constantly right. checking in around like what's doable, um, what's the best way to get something done and having flexibility around that is really helpful for us. Um, I think especially because like when we go out on projects and shoot, like we'll have weeks where like we aren't sleeping, they're really long shoot days and then wow. we're prepping all night for like the next day. So when mm -hmm. we're not on like a client project, we really make sure to kind of give each other that um sense of like support like you know if you've mm -hmm. got too much going on today like we'll re reschedule the call and that's okay and there's not going to be any shame in that you know i think that mm -hmm. kind of like that kind of thought process and environment is really enriching to us in a lot of ways it, in some ways self-care is an important part of our business model hmm. and like that's not something that traditional companies prioritize right mm -hmm. it's like how how can we make our work a nurturing and rejuvenating experience. Like that's radical yeah. and revolutionary. Totally, yeah, I really love that. But what are other ways in which you would say that your work is kind of like, you know, self-care and rejuvenating? Well, I think we're going on a, a week-long retreat um, in June somewhere in Europe, most likely mm -hmm. Portugal this year, which is like really awesome. And that's something that Jelena's always like, okay, what's our next retreat? And it's a really good time, you know, especially because we're not around each other in person a lot for us to like every few months to get together in a low pressure sort of uh, scenario where we can have time to just like unwind. And then we can also have time to like get creative and brainstorm. And then we can have time to look at logistical items that are pending. That's a really great way for us to like get excited about the work uh -huh. um that's definitely like a big thing we look forward to every few months so that helps a lot and then I think I think also you know just on set right like um film sets are you know traditionally places that can be very mean and cold for us um it's really important. It's important that we have the structure. It's important that we get the job done. It's important that we're efficient, but it's also important um, that we create community on film sets. Uh -huh. That's like a core for us. Uh -huh. um, and so, and when we worked on the Nike project, this was a big thing that people really found. It, basically, our crew really noticed this. 
And we got a lot of positive feedback around that, which meant so much to us. So how do you do that? Like what kinds of things were you implementing on set that maybe are different than more traditional set? I think in a lot of ways, it's not really what you say, but how you treat each other, right? And so it was just important for us to kind of like create this vibe where like, you know, uh, Alex is directing, I'm DPing, Jelena's producing, we've got an order of um, protocol and kind of establishing that like this needs to be a respectful space. And at the same time, like we want to make sure everyone just feels valued. So it's not even like what it's like, it's more like the people at the top of all of these departments, they're the ones who need to implement it in each of their departments and and move that way through the days. Right. So it's not like we were like announcing like, hey, we're going to be really nice to you. (laughs) But like, you know, it's like we're going to get the job done, but we're we're all in this together. That kind of attitude and atmosphere really helps. And then we had a wrap party afterwards. Uh, in Atlanta. And that was awesome. And people really appreciated that we did that and just had time for all of us to hang out. For that project in particular, you were the DP, Alex was the director and Delina was the producer. So do you usually take those roles or how is that decided from project to project? Yeah, I mean, it's really decided um, depending on the needs of the project. We all, we all are directors. We all do all kinds of technical work as well. On this project, because the Nike project was focused on Black History Month, it was it was important for Alex to direct that and lead that ship forward. Um, and it was important for us to also hire predominantly a, a Black crew and a crew that uh, was comprised of people of color. So those were things that we made sure to implement wherever we could. And so, yeah, like depending on what the project needs are. And we it always starts with like, who's the community we're representing here? And and who needs to be represent that community on the other side of the lens? That's something that we think about. I mean, it's only possible because you all have various technical skills. So you can change roles, you know, depending on the project. I think it's important just to have humility around asking ourselves, are we the right people for this project? And that's something we always consider because uh-huh. it's just important. You know, I think film, you know, has its roots in a lot of exploitive systems. Yeah. And it's almost like in every small and big decision we make, we're always thinking of ways to like always resist that ways. Like, how can we make sure that this project is ethical and equitable and and is doing all the things that it should be doing, all the things that aren't dominant um, practice in this industry, um, all the things that should be? What can we do as creatives and as people who now have this power to hire folks, to build narratives what can we do that's radical and revolutionary? And what can we do that represents all of the things we believe in and stand for? It just It's just so simple. I love that. It's like thinking of every step along the process, really challenging yourself and questioning yourself and thinking like, can this be better? Can we do this better? Can we do this to further align with our values? Yeah. And, it, you know, it really just starts with like, looking at film, right? Like you have this power and you have this responsibility and Uh knowing that, knowing that our artistry and our creativity and our work here is a real responsibility. Uh And just, that's it. It's just that simple. Yeah. That notion of responsibility often isn't 
taught, not even in schools of like, what is my responsibility here? It's not enough just to say you have to make the film. Like you have to think about the, the modes of production and how that production is impacting the world because you are impacting the world by what you're creating. So I think that's what I really admire about, about you guys and about what you're doing. Thank you. I would love to ask more like nitty gritty questions about numbers and stuff like so um, Bad Feminist Making Films we're produced by two collectives so we have Ethnocene and Risa Collective and then at least for Ethnocene Collective whenever we get a project bare minimum like 15 to 20 percent we take for our collective because if we don't take at least that much the money that we're getting is not enough for what we're doing. But how are you guys thinking about numbers? Yeah, I mean, it's essentially the same. There's always there's always a minimum 10% finder's fee that goes to the person bringing the project. And then, you know, 15 to 20, at least going to break tight as, a, as an agency just to help us run our day-to-day operations. Uh-huh. Um, just because there's so many costs associated with, like, running having an LLC and, like, having all the little things that you need to run a company. But to be honest, I think with the, the, the rest of it, there's a lot of flexibility that we have here I think so far because it's just three of us um, this last year has really been focused on asking and answering whether we can create a sustainable filmmaking practice for ourselves financially and so that's what we've been focused on but now as as we've seen that there is a demand and people are seeking out our work we're trying to figure out you know, should we be looking at um, investors that um, stand in with our values that we'd want to help kind of take our company to the, to the next level? But it's not something we've answered yet. Okay. So it really is because our overheads are low um, and because we have the talent and the equipment that we need to run, you know, to make this happen. It's really like when we get a project in, the, the costs really help us invest in our um, selves for our company. I think that's a good point. So when you guys were starting, you already like had the equipment and stuff like that? Yeah, we had a lot of the infrastructure we needed. But honestly, it's like, you know, you're going to put in rental costs anyway, whether you own yeah. them or not. So it kind of works out the same. Um, but we, yeah, we had, we had the know-how around, we, we'd been doing this for a few, at least a few years, you know, really kind of had a good sense of what we need to make a production come to life. And it it was fairly easy to get it off the ground. Um, the overheads were really low. We don't, we're not really putting in major costs unless we have a project coming in and then we know that money is getting used properly. So along those lines, do you have any tips for women of color who are freelancing out there, maybe on negotiating rates or other things that come to mind? Yes. <laughs> I think the biggest, like the biggest thing for me that really helped change a lot of, you know, the level of work that I'm doing and the way that I'm doing it is collectivizing, right? I think it's so important for us to start collectivizing and networking with other women of color, um, with people who stand in and represent the values that we want to help uplift and see Mm -hmm. more of I think it's really important for us to get in those spaces together and instead of always looking for people who don't represent our interests or don't necessarily believe in the same things like I'm just I'm not interested in that anymore I'm just interested now Mm -hmm. in in thriving with the people who have these beliefs and values and with the people who really see their work as a responsibility. Like that's, that's what I'm interested in. And I think it's really important that we start seeing each other as stronger together in a lot of ways. I think with other women of color, it can help you in so many different ways, but in just in terms of negotiating, you're already stronger if you're showing up 
uh, not as an individual. Sure. Um, so that's really helpful. And I think the, the point about scarcity mindset, I think it is important to start thinking about uh, from a place of abundance in your financial conversations, you know, getting comfortable really asking for that dollar amount that you want and aiming high and knowing if the person says no, it's okay, but it's still your responsibility to ask for what you want and to know that that is okay. And that is like, you deserve that. Like, you know, stop, stop underselling yourself and stop believing that you're not at a place to be, you know, asking for what it is you want. And, and also another really important piece of this is that like when you are in a position of power and you are in a position to hire other people, it's really our responsibility to help bring our community up with us. So it's important to hire other women of color and to really pay it forward because that's the only way we grow. Actually, it's 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 through uh, growing together and with each other. What is what was I hearing? Oh, which I think goes so well with the, you know, with your the name of your production company, Break Tide, is like the only way. Uh, oh man, I'm gonna mess it up. It's something along the lines of like we all come up together once, like once the tide when the tides are high, not when they're low. And I forget. I'm I'm totally screwing it up, but it's like something of that sentiment where it's like we can only go up together. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. You know, and Break Tide, like we're we're here to break these exploitive systems and create create a new world and create new waves where this way of thinking and being and existing is possible. Um, and it's one that really is for everyone. But I think one, I think just as a, a society, like our voices need to start getting valued more, which I think they are. You know, I think I think we come from uh, a legacy of women who have been doing the work, just not getting the credit for it. Yeah, totally. People have been doing the work for a really long time. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of this work has been happening uh, in generations before us. Like we're not saying anything new. Yeah, we're really. echoing the same things our grandmothers have been saying and their grandmothers have been saying. And I think especially in the context of U.S. history, the work that black women have been doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, just this weekend I was at SF Film Festival where Madeline Anderson was being given this lifetime award uh, to honor her work. And, you know, just being at, at even, you know, doing film school at, at UC Berkeley, I took a documentary class where I think I learned about pretty much every white male filmmaker oh. on the face of this earth. And I was like, why have I not been introduced to Miss Anderson's work? She was doing work in the 50s. Amazing, incredible work. Her short film, I Am Somebody, it pretty much it features these um, black women uh, striking for higher wages at hospitals. So they were nurses. And Loretta King even spoke at this rally. And it's just a beautiful film that really centers their voices. And I'm like, this is radical. This is revolutionary. And I was so pissed off that this isn't celebrated more. I totally hear that. I totally hear that. I remember feeling that way um, when I was getting my MFA in documentary where I'm like, we're only watching films by white people. And it was like 2014. I'm like, seriously? Like, y'all are getting paid? Like, I'm paying you to teach me this? Like, oh my gosh. And and on that line, like, what if we lived, what if we lived in a world where not only wasn't the white man the default and the standard to, to aspire to? Uh -huh. What if, what if um, women of color were? What if 
mm-hmm. black women were? What if trans women were? Mm-hmm. Like, I think the whole the whole way we operate would be different. And I think, I mean, I think the history of colonization, I think every little thing we do in this world from the way that we network to the, the way that we communicate to the way we deal with our social relationships, they are so informed by colonial, you know, practices that I think we're not, we're not fully there around really what we could, where we could be if we totally threw that out the window. But I'm with you on that, you know, like that, that is why we started this podcast of like, how can we reimagine the world? How are people trying to do that? And, you know, what strategies are they implementing? Like, um, how are, how are you trying to implement that in filmmaking? Not just like, you know, in the final product, but in the process of it. When we got together with Break Tide, it wasn't just about us making a sustainable filmmaking career for ourselves. It was about reimagining a whole industry. What we're trying to do here is so much bigger than us. Uh-huh. It's really, it's, it's really for, it is for our community though. Yeah. It is for trying to reimagine it for women of color, for queer and trans <laughs> folks, for people who aren't considered when we think about this industry. They're just not, the kind of people we have historically prioritized in this industry, right? Yeah. Um, We've always been the people to look at, to be looked at. Well, girl, we can talk about this forever, but I really wanted to thank you for all that you shared about your work and the way that you're thinking about things. Um, I did want to give you a moment to like shout out how the Bad Feminine Making Film community can support you on any projects that you're working on moving forward. We're working on so many amazing things. So most recently, um, I'm co-directing and DPing a web series called The Escapist. It's about three best friends that follow their dreams and disappoint their families in the process. Yay! And we're screening in San Francisco. Our premiere is happening on April 26th. We were super surprised that our event was sold out in less than 12 hours. But, you know, it's crazy. crazy. But we will be launch. We will be just dropping our pilot episode on YouTube on May 1st. So please follow our Instagram at the escapist web series and subscribe to our YouTube. Do all do all the buttons. Click all the buttons. Um, It'll really, really, really will help us a long way. Um, One of our documentaries, Oakled. If you follow at Oakled is about lead po- the lead poisoning crisis in Oakland that Alex is directing. Another mm-hmm. documentary, Standing Above the Clouds, is a story of Native Hawaiian mothers and daughters standing for their sacred mountain, Mauna Kea, against a 30-meter telescope that plans to be built on that mountain. So you can also follow that Instagram channel at Standing Above the Clouds. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's it. And follow us at Breaktide, at Breaktide. Yeah. B-R-E-A-K-T-I-D-E. Um, feel free to email us, message us, connect with us. We're always looking to connect with other women and women of color. Cool. So you hear, press on the buttons, like all the things, go on their website, check out what they're doing. Um, again, so happy to talk to you and re- so excited about the work that you guys are doing. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on your show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. 
Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.